0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I was thinking about this uh, kind of this morning. You know, for a long time, there's been this like argument that goes on this time of year in college football. Where, and sometimes I, when I close my eyes and picture this, I sort of picture myself being at like a church on a Sunday morning after a day's worth of college football. And if you're a Georgia fan, you may have walked into your church yesterday feeling really good about your team. And in the past, when something like this might have happened. You know there's the non-georgia fan in a situation like this and listen maybe sometimes we've been the person saying this but if it's georgia feeling good about itself and georgia bragging about itself the non-georgia fan in that point he likes to kind of diminish uga and as i said before we've all probably been guilty of doing this with somebody else but we kind of recognize it a little bit more and somebody does it to us that's that thing of you know georgia fans strutting into church on a sunday feeling really good or you know the uh Breakfast plays, whatever it is you're going on a Sunday, right? You're just sort of feeling happy and feeling good, and you're looking at a 49-3 victory, and there's that guy on the other side who wants to kind of throw water in the whole thing, and he wants to say something to the effect of, "Well, who's to say that Oregon's good, right? I mean, maybe this is Georgia being really, really good, or maybe this is just Oregon being really, really bad." And listen, you know, who knows? You know, for sure, Georgia obviously won 49-3 on Saturday, but that's like the most common conversation that sort of happened around the south for a long time and i was sort of thinking this morning how how little relevance that discussion seems to have anymore like well is georgia this good or is oregon this bad and then the reason why i don't think that conversation has any relevance is pick a team any team put them on the field against georgia on saturday i'm talking about of the entire country who from the country do you think would have fared better against Georgia than Oregon did on Saturday? We say, well, Alabama would. Well, Georgia beat Alabama back in January, so for now they're going to sit here and watch this. Well, Ohio State would, the team that just sort of scuffled and played around and you was know, lucky to beat Notre Dame on Saturday. I don't necessarily want to hear that right now either. And then from any other team, you know, Big Twelve, no, ACC, the entirety of the league, no. Uh, Pac-12 obviously that league's essentially you know eliminated from the discussion here right now so is Georgia this good or is Oregon this bad I, I don't know that conversation means anything anymore because based on what Georgia has been doing on its way to a national championship what it did on Saturday I'm just not quite so sure there's any team you could have put on the field with Georgia and gotten much of a better game than you got on Saturday that Georgia's sort of getting the point now where its it's opponent is almost uh, an irrelevant thing that that, that Georgia is simply sort of competing against itself right now. It's competing against what it was a year ago, the standard that it wants to set for itself right now. That's what Georgia's sort of pushing for and aspiring to be. And the basis of that performance there on Saturday, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Georgia ought to be ranked number one in the country. Now, today is Labor Day. So the AP poll is not going to come out today. The AP poll is actually not coming out till tomorrow afternoon. Normally it comes out on Monday. Uh, actually, normally it comes out on Sunday. But um, it's not going to come out until Tuesday of this week because of the holiday and also because of the fact there was a game last night and a game uh, tonight uh, involving Clemson and Georgia Tech. So we're going to wait a couple of days in the AP poll. When it does come out, I don't think that Georgia moves up to number one, but I think it probably should. I think the obvious response to what you saw on Saturday was, was the team that was number one to finish last year ought to be treated as number one to start this year because if you want to compare to the team that ranked that that are ranked ahead of it as i said on twitter on saturday this ohio state bunch lost to the oregon team in its own stadium last year obviously we know what happened the last time georgia alabama played head to head and when georgia goes out and does the 49-3 performance that's the kind of flex that I think is certainly representative of a number one overall team but ultimately they're probably not going to get that level of credit which is sort of fine which means that we ourselves are left to make our own evaluation of UGA and here's what we know is this was the highest ranked team on Georgia's schedule at least from an AP preseason poll standpoint that that Georgia won't face another team ranked in the preseason poll until almost the very end of the season so there aren't going to be very many measuring sticks for Georgia when it comes to external opponents teams you can play that let you know how good you are that a lot of the evaluation we're going to be doing about Georgia for the rest of the season is really going to be based on our own kind of measuring stick of Georgia about what they're trying to be what they were a year ago and as we said I believe it was on Friday show or it was one of the shows last week as, as we said kind of last week that that if you want to compare this performance from georgia on saturday to a year ago in a neutral site non-conference game against a ranked opponent is there any doubt right now that georgia through one game this year is ahead of the pace that it was after one game a year ago it's essentially the same defensive performance right you uh, didn't give up a touchdown last year to Clemson you didn't give up a touchdown Saturday to to Oregon it's essentially the same defensive performance you did have a pick six a year ago but but for the most part it's almost a carbon copy defensively yet last year that was a game in which Georgia only mustered three points of its own on the offensive side of the ball and on Saturday Georgia scored touchdowns on its first seven consecutive drives to begin the game that this was for Georgia a major state that not only is it still a contender here in 2022, it's actually maybe right now better at this point than it was at the same uh, time frame a year ago. And I think there's a lot to like about it. We're going to talk about both sides of the ball here on the show today but I also want to kind of get into a little bit more about what Kirby Smart said about it all there as well because he was talking you know, after the game and he was kind of talking about you know how he felt about his team and, and and what he thought the 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 game proved and that word that he used a lot leading into the game the idea of not being the the, the team that's hunted not being the team that has the target on its back but remaining the hunter Kirby was echoing then after the game you better believe this and it, it fits in perfectly as you know we had our Dog Nation dognation.com tailgate that was all you know, really fun. And, you know, it's a perfect tie-in to the idea that Kirby Smart saw a team there on Saturday that was hunting exactly like he wanted them to. This was Smart after the game.
1: Externally, there's expectations every year. We embrace expectations. We hunt. We go do the best job we can. And if it falls short, it falls short. But I don't, I don't, I don't look at it from the expectation standpoint i look at it like what can we do better how do we improve how do we get more players playing winning football because everybody in this room knows we're going to lose somebody somebody's going to be injured throughout the year and how do we get them better but the expectations i have is is for our guys to play at their best and our coaches to prepare at their best and i think that our guys really did that
0: this game so i talk about georgia being number one and feeling like they deserve to be there You hear that from Kirby Smart saying, listen, you know, we're not worried about the external expectations. They don't ever go away. They don't ever really change whether the national champion or not. But he liked the mindset that his team approached the game with. And he used that word, hey, we hunted, you know, we went out there and we did that. And, you know, I think that we have an idea in our mind of what that means. Hey, what does it mean for Georgia to remain the hunter? What does it mean for Georgia to remain, remain as edgy as it was last year, maintain that same edge, that it had last year and we have an idea of what that means but I thought late in his press conference on Saturday you know Kirby Smart kind of got into this a little bit more he wasn't asked that question directly but he was asked you know what did you learn about your team and as he answered the question I think in a lot of ways the answer that Smart gave almost kind of stands as the definition of what Smart means when he has talked this offseason about wanting UGA to remain the hunter. I really liked this from near the end of the press conference on Saturday from what Smart wanted to see from his team and what he did see from his team. This is fascinating stuff. Take a listen to this. I want to come out and play aggressive and I told our team I don't care about the results of the game. I don't
1: care about any. I, all I care about is did you come out and play aggressive? And we tried to make it really simple. And I thought they came out and played aggressive. I thought we called the game aggressive. I thought Coach Munkin, I thought Coach Schumann did a tremendous job with both their staffs. Our staff is the best it's ever been. We got a great staff right now, and it's uh, it's it's awesome because we've got you know a great. We've always had good staff, but we've got a really great staff right now in terms of guys
0: enjoying to work together and putting plans together and I thought they did a great job of doing that. Some people made a little bit of a thing about what Smart said there at the end about this being the best staff that he's had there and some people wonder was that a shot at somebody else or something like that. I honestly don't believe that it is. I think that Smart seeks the same level of cohesion and connectedness between his Coaching staff, as he hopes to have for his players. I think one of the things a year ago they say was really crucial for them along the way towards winning a national championship. Was the the players felt close to each other? They 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 connect with each other, had a bond with each other, and that was something I believe that was really real to them. And Smart, I think, wants the same thing from his coaching staff, and it sounds like he feels like they have that. Which, if you're a UGA fan, I think you think is a really good thing. But it's the other part of that I find to be the most interesting. I mean, to me, Smart uses the word that I think ought to define Georgia here this year. That's aggressive. Be aggressive. And that's what it kind of means to be the hunter here. You're not hiding and hoping nobody finds you. You're going out and seeking something for yourself. We're going to get more into a moment on the Georgia's offensive side of the ball in terms of what they did in the red zone, what they did on third downs. The way in which you improve on those statistics, something that Georgia wasn't great at a year ago, is you go for the juggler. You go for you know the the most aggressive call you can make and offensively on Saturday it seemed like Georgia kind of did that they threw the ball all over the yard they were truly aggressive and defensively kind of much the same way the Christopher Smith interception kind of ended really any chance that Oregon was going to be competitive in this game whatsoever the Malachi Starks interception you better believe we'll get there before the show is done today also an example of hey you know Georgia's going for the football didn't have a lot of sacks on Saturday didn't have much pass rush whatsoever I think that was sort of you uh, you know sort of dictated by the Oregon game plan maybe a a bit but but still those aggressive tendencies showed up there on defense there too so that's what it kind of means i think when kirby smart says i want my team to be the hunter meaning in any game i want my team to be the most aggressive team in the game how the players play how the coaches coach on saturday we got that I don't think there's any doubt that Georgia had the best performance in the nation here this weekend, and I think that best performance signifies them right now as the best team. Media probably won't put them at number one, but there's only so much you can do about that right now. However, come January, when the season's done, the idea that Georgia could be back to number one there when it truly counts, that seems right now just as real as ever. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Video: We start at nine forty-five. First and fifteen, DogNation.com, Dog Nation app. Ten a.m. After that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. On the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio nine sixty, the ref maybe preemptive for the holiday today. I guess this just kind of popped in my head, but nonetheless, we're basically there every single day. And of course, podcasts, we're always there. It's not dog nation daily, unless you do it every single day, which means uh, labor day here there as well. So we're happy to have you connecting with us, however you do it. I appreciate our friends at Pella window and door for making it all possible there as well. You know, they can equip your house, with energy efficient windows and doors and I love what they do. I I love the product that they put out there because I'm a homeowner and a lot of our audience homeowners, which means that you're proud of your home. You want to take care of your home and you want to see comfort in your home, which means this time of year, you know, air conditioning and all that kind of stuff, expensive, you know, energy bills, right? You want that stuff to stay inside where it's supposed to be. And the stuff that's supposed to be outside, like all that heat right now, those bugs and stuff like that. Hey, keep that on the outside where it's supposed to be there as well. Properly fitted windows and doors, that's what they do for you. They also look better, increasing your curb appeal. That could increase your resale value. lot of you thinking about that kind of thing right now too, and that's what Pella window and door of George is all about. Survey after survey throughout the years here in the Atlanta area, Pella windows and doors have been recognized as kind of the brand leader when it comes to the best possible product you can have for your windows, your doors, things like that. That's what Pella is all about. Also great savings right now, there as well because between now and september 30th you can get no payments no interest for 12 months or 50 percent off qualifying installations you can go to the experience center in duluth to find out more about this or you can check them out online Pella of ga.com slash dog nation that's Pella of slash dog nation or call 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Talk to a Pella expert, have a no-pressure consultation. They'll walk you through the installation options, all the stuff that's available to you from our friends at Pella, and you'll find out what we've been knowing now for a long time, that Pella window and door of Georgia is viewed to be the best and michael if you don't mind let's go back to the other camera shot here for a second because i want to show folks uh what we're offering to you right now from our friends at the seven six you know seven six apparently They are a big part of our dog nation Duck Hunt, uh tailgate on saturday and you all we're going to do some of this for our golden shoe later on and we're going to do a lot of this throughout the week when we give our golden shoes uh later on but uh what a great day it was on Saturday with the dognation.com tailgate so much fun seven six apparel a big part of that we've had folks raving over those dognation.com t-shirts that our friends at the Seven 76 helped us out with and as a way of celebrating the big victory over Oregon on Saturday feeling good about the start of the season how about a southern fried duck t-shirt this is Dog Nation, the 7 6 kind of getting together there on this. So, if you want to celebrate, it's got the score on the t shirt. We showed this to you on Saturday night for our Dog Nation post game show. We got it for you here right now, there as well. You can get the Southern Fried Duck t shirt uh, with the 49 to 3 score. Uh, go to the76.com. You can find out more about that. And it'd be a cool way to celebrate what is a great win for these dogs against Oregon. A lot of you know I predicted the shutout in the game we originally were going to do something sort of shutout related there on that but uh if not for a horrible officiating call i would have gotten my way if not for a horrible officiating call we would have the uh, goose egg on the scoreboard like we were looking for and that would have been a lot of fun so maybe one of these days we'll get to do that again but uh still a great t-shirt from our friends at the seven six go to the seven and you can find out more about that all right we're gonna get our buddy uh, john stenchcomb coming up here in a moment too we'll talk some uga with him His reaction to the win against Oregon there on Saturday, a dominant performance really by the offensive line. And When John's on, I want to get some more of that. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA, and I want to get into the performance by Stetson Bennett. It was really an eye-opening performance by Bennett. It's the kind of thing where veteran quarterback playing now another year in a system for a guy like Todd Monken, which clearly works as an offensive coordinator. There's a reason that Monken gets the big bucks. He's just so good at what he does and creating such a great offense for UGA and I think you got to kind of pause and reflect on just how dominant Georgia was on that side of the ball we've seen great defense before in a lot of ways that was you know one of the big stories for me but we've seen Georgia do that. What Georgia did offensively, I don't know how often we've seen that. And when you're spreading the ball around as effectively as Georgia was, throwing the ball to Kenny McIntosh, throwing the ball to tight ends, getting Ladd McConkey involved in a couple of touchdowns, when you're when you're distributing it that well, it seems like you've got this sort of huge level of playmaking potential in this Georgia offense and smart you know acknowledge some of that on Saturday but also acknowledge the guy who's making all this happen specifically saying some nice things about Stetson Bennett this is Kirby from Saturday on his quarterback I know that we can spread the ball around that's the
1: product of Stetson being able to get to first second third read and then also scrambling and making plays with his feet I can only imagine how you feel calling a game against a guy that when gets somebody back there they don't tackle it. And on top of the fact he knows where the ball go have an accurate passer good protection it's hard to defend
0: i mean i think that's exactly right accurate passer which he was you know putting the ball where it needed to be but also moving around and avoiding any kind of pass for us there were a lot of highlight type plays from bennett there on saturday and i think smart kind of touches on that pretty well and also, Stetson himself talking about what he liked about the game, specifically highlighting a couple of statistical things that maybe Georgia wasn't stellar at in 2021. One of these, something we've talked about plenty, saying when he thinks about what made him proud on Saturday, this is what he liked about the game itself. Stetson Bennett kind of following up on what Kirby Smart was just discussing. Here's the quarterback.
1: That's what I'm most proud of the third downs. You know, I mean, that's what we were harping on we third down and red zone, you know, just this whole off season, And we execute. And and yeah, I mean, when you got guys like him and you got got O-line when I have four seconds to throw the ball, I mean, you would hope that you have a quarterback that can throw the ball to guys, right? So,
0: yeah, I mean, I think we did, you know, we have confidence in ourselves and the preparation that we put into it uh, to go out there and execute like that. I mean, listen, I think one of the cool things about Stetson is how honest he is, and I think when he sits in these press conference situations sometimes, like he's just really honest, and he's like, hey, we'd harped on – Two things we weren't good at a year ago. Red zone percentage, third down percentage. And the red zone thing is something we've talked about a lot around here. That Georgia was like, I think it was what, 65th in the country last year in percentage of red zone trips that turned into touchdowns. That's like national average. They're like right down there with like a two lane. Like, like, you know, teams that you don't want to see Georgia kind of mention the same breath with. We said, hey, that's an area for Georgia to be better. If you're better in that area that's a way to score a lot more points and you know Stetson also brings up like kind of a third down thing too which has always been like this like sort of hammer that people have sort of banged on the head with Stetson with it's like you know he's you know MVP of the playoff game MVP of the college you know national championship game, but you still got this sort of pocket of sets and haters are like, Yeah, but what about the third down percentage? It's like, you know, like no matter like no matter what, that's like the one that's sort of like the last grasp, sort of like the you know, last refuge of the stats and haters, is like the, what about the third down percentage? Well, on Saturday, how's that third down percentage looking out for you? Uh it was a pretty big day uh on third down in red zone and everything else. Seven consecutive trips uh on offense, resulting in touchdowns and quite a statement to sort of uh, begin this season and begin the final year for Stetson Bennett the comfort that he's in and you know I, I think that you know once again you kind of get sort of a very honest uh, assessment from Stetson on all of this he was asked directly about hey you know um, uh, was this the best game you've ever played and Stetson said yeah it is more from Stetson here
1: yeah probably uh, yeah probably the best one I've played yeah <laughs> why is that I'd say probably the offseason um, all the work you know putting it in with these guys year three in the offense um, you know, again, having time and having the playmakers outside. Um, so I think a combination of a lot of things.
0: So, I mean, I just, I, I like that. I like what he says there about, look, I actually believe, even though we spend a lot of time paying quarterbacks, things like that, I actually believe an effective play caller is more valuable in college football than a great quarterback is. I have seen potentially great quarterbacks neutralized by ineffective game plans, and I have conversely seen great play callers turn – You know, maybe less than great talent into very productive quarterbacks. To me, college football is still a lot about coaching. It's still a lot about, do you have a game plan that works? And in Bennett's case, he says, hey, I'm now in my third year of working with Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin is in his third year of instilling his offensive mindset of this program. To have that level of continuity is incredibly valuable. And the way in which Bennett flourished on Saturday, it's easy to imagine he might flourish in that same way as the season goes on here. So there was a lot to like about George on the offensive side of the ball. It probably was the best game that Bennett has played so far because you get the impression the best may still be yet to come for him. That is Around the Doghouse, and it is presented today by our friends at AAA. Of course, AAA, you know them for when it comes to roadside assistance. You have a breakdown on the road, something like that. AAA is right there for you but how about being there for you as well when it comes to your uh, insurance there too? I'm talking about uh, auto insurance here from our friends at uh, AAA there as well, because you, when you get your auto insurance through AAA, you can qualify uh, for a benefit such as enhanced total loss. Now, this is a really interesting thing. Enhanced total loss from AAA, which means if your car has a total loss after a crash, they're going to replace it with a newer model. Now, imagine that. that that's a, a really cool thing. Some of you have been in this situation before where hey, you have the car, it gets totaled, and you have a hard time with maybe whatever your insurance company might have been about getting the full replacement value for that. Sometimes it seems like you you get disappointed that way. With AAA, they're going to do something really cool for you with that enhanced total loss, replacing the car, but not only that, with a newer model there as well. That's what they're all about there, and that's one of the reasons why they are a great option no when it comes to your auto insurance coverage. So make sure you give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075 and that'll get you in touch with AAA and some great auto insurance options from our friends over there all right we're glad to have you you are our friends too and John Stinchcombe's a big friend of ours there as well so we're going to talk to John what do he see from Georgia on Saturday in particular an offensive line that I thought was dominant before we're done today too we'll get into the Malachi Stark situation uh because he was woo boy a revelation uh, on the in the game on they're on Saturday and certainly probably a little bit of a wet blanket on some of those non Georgia fans or media types or anybody else that sort of assumes that Georgia just has no talent left over, bare cupboard after all the draft picks. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not after what you saw there on Saturday. And I could probably talk about six hours about all the other games in the weekend the overhyping of Florida after beating you know uh, averages grits Utah and Ohio State scuffling around with Notre Dame I could talk for hours but all of this the game last night between LSU and Florida State but we'll see if we instead cram it into a few minutes so it's a very busy fast paced conclusion for us and that includes John Stinchcomb here right now so great to have him and all of you with us on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. John, you are a UJ alumnus. You are a former Letterman, All-American, big dog fan. I would imagine that if we were to cut you open, you would bleed about as red and black as one can, uh, although I don't have any plans to, to, to cut you open. But if we did, that's what, I appreciate would, that. that's what would happen. Have you ever seen a more thorough beatdown from Georgia against what is Proceed to be a quality opponent than what you saw on saturday
2: no it was it was phenomenal and what was most impressive is how complete a game georgia played in week one i mean usually you, you say well they need to you know get to up to speed in this area of the game or you saw a lull in this quarter it never happened it never happened offensively seven straight series end with touchdowns couldn't have been more efficient defensively you held a team that um, had been able to put points on the board, and, and at least last season, and this year you hold them to no touchdowns. I mean, just such a thorough performance from top to bottom. Uh, My only concern late in the game was that the Thorsons weren't going to be able to see their son play. So (laughs) I'm glad that he finally got one rep, and we we can feel more confident that our punt coverage team is uh, up to speed with the rest.
0: It's it's, uh, so funny you bring that up because I was thinking some version of that myself where late in the game I sort of found myself – rooting against the Georgia offense a little bit because I did just want to see what Brett Thorson looked like I was just kind of curious what the new punter looked like and while I you know never actually root against UGA there's part of me that's like I kind of hope they don't score right here because I would actually like to see what Thorson sort of looks like
2: well it was, I mean just that entire performance was exceptional and uh he was he was not no exception to that rule either I mean we heard some of the inconsistencies that yep. had been uh, realized throughout camp but when you drop a 53-yard bomb, and, uh, you're up to par with the rest of the performance. I think you feel pretty good leaving Saturday uh, that Georgia is exactly what they've been billed to be and maybe more.
0: And listen, I, I totally get the idea there are 11 regular season games to go from here before you even get to what happens in December and that there is very likely a moment to come this season where Georgia doesn't play as well as it did on Saturday or, you know, who's to say how this season ends just because it starts in such you know stellar fashion. I think we all kind of understand that, John. However, the one thing I've been saying a lot leading into the start of the year is this is that I think there's this assumption that last year was somehow the end of history, that Georgia fans have been waiting for decades to win a national championship. They finally got it, and therefore that's sort of the closing of the book, and that chapter's over, and somehow history came to an end because Georgia finally won a national championship last year. But, John, there's no rule that says that has to be true, that last year doesn't have to be a series finale. It could have just been a season premiere, and it could have been maybe kind of a turning of a new page for a new chapter in Georgia history. All of a sudden, now this team plays with the aggression. Smart talked about that. The kind of hunter mentality. Smart's plenty, you know, talked about that. And all of a sudden now, Georgia kind of plays, having blown the lid off of its own expectations for itself. And maybe this is just what Georgia is now.
2: Yes, Georgia is not built that way. We're not built for that one-and-done. You you think of some cautionary tales like LSU and Joe Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and and that unique lightning-in-a-bottle experience that LSU has and see them fall off the cliff. Well, Georgia has uh, continued to recruit at a high level. They keep the expectations high year in and year out. And uh, despite the fact that you're replacing players at a pretty astronomical rate, especially this year, You look at the roster and say, man, Georgia is just as talented as any of the teams across this country, bar none." And I think that's what we've seen from um, the other teams who will remain nameless but happen to be directly to our west. Um, And their ability to stay at the top is they have that next guy, that next player is just as talented and waiting in the wings for his opportunity to prove it. And... If week one is any, any indication, and it's only one week, but that's what Georgia seems to be on pace for. It's, uh, we talk about off all, all season that this offense probably has a higher ceiling. And you look at the way they spread the ball, you listen to Dan Lanning after the game and say, hey, we, we came in with a game plan to limit Georgia's offense and force them and challenge them into um, – having to execute in what they thought was a weaker part of Georgia's offense, and you see how that ended up. So when a defensive core coach who is a former coordinator that is so familiar with our offense comes in with a game plan and Georgia's able to, uh, I I fail to find a better word than abuse, the defense the way they did, I think it just speaks to uh, just the ability and high ceiling that this team has in this season.
0: No, I think that's exactly right. What did you think of the offensive line? Because I thought it looked pretty good. What, what did you think about it? And in particular, the way in which they also rotated a lot there. You know, you uh-huh. got uh, Mims involved. You moved McClendon over to left tackle there for a moment. Uh and it kind of rotated, you know, with Willick uh, a little bit too. The The dominant performance, but the fact they're also kind of shuffling around a little bit more than some teams sometimes do. Yeah,
2: I think part of it is the you know, seven consecutive touchdown scoring drives for the offense allows you to continue to develop and uh, get ready for rainy days and you hope they never come but you look at that tackle rotation with McClendon swinging over uh, to the left side and Mims coming in and you know between those three guys the the third being Broderick there was never a drop off in performance and same can be said with the interior. I also think it's noteworthy that the blocking coming from that tight end position um, and slot even with, with Bowers and Darnell Washington was exceptional. And A lot of the reasons why these plays were able to make the edge, in addition to the five big boys in the middle, was some of the, the edge protection, some of the edge blocking coming from those tight end positions. So not only are they very capable when the ball in their hands, but they're willing to get their nose dirty a little bit and create opportunities for their teammates. So, you know, you're you're looking at this performance and going, there is so much variability. There's so many different ways this team can attack you. Um, It really bodes well. And offensively up front to see a healthy Tate Ratledge out there um, who, you know, had a couple moments where you think, man, he's dominant. A couple moments where you're like, all right, he's still learning a little bit. I think that's where this team is. They have such – talent that um you know the performance is high and there'll be some growing pains but i still think there's potential for them to be even better
0: can we have a candid conversation for a moment about marius mims because here's one of the things i sort of believe is that inside information by definition comes from an insider and by definition that means that's someone that's close to the program and then by definition you're talking about somebody who has A vested interest in telling a favorable story that benefits the program, because they're obviously you know that close to it. It's one of the reasons why we occasionally hear whispers that so and so is having a good camp, but we almost never hear whispers that so and so is having a bad camp, because that just doesn't benefit the program for that kind of stuff to sort of sneak out. And if you notice over the course of time, that's sort of the way which a lot of that goes. And so, John, when Amarius Mims was thinking about transferring, he visited you know Florida State. It seemed like for a while that he was going to go to Florida State one of the things that i thought was really telling in that moment you never heard air quote here insiders saying well that's okay he's a bust or that's okay he's you know he's not he's he's not any good because clearly at that point in time it would have benefited you know maybe georgia to make it seem like when they were on the verge of losing Mims, they weren't losing a player that was all that special. But I was always told by people who would know that, no, we do think of Marius Mims, is a very special player, you know, potentially a very uh, very good player. He just hasn't started yet. And I think that's important to keep in mind here that technically Georgia has uh, a Broderick Jones starting at left tackle, uh, a Warren McClendon starting at right tackle. Those are two really good tackles. But in Marius Mims' case, even when he was on the verge of leaving UGA, there was no one who would say he doesn't deserve to play and he's not any good. He's sort of seemingly always been good, just like a lot of the things that happen at Georgia, a guy that just sort of has had to kind of wait for his opportunity a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a situation of it's hard to keep that many mouths fed. Uh, Marius Mims is is a talent, and we've never heard anything to the contrary. It's more of can he have enough opportunity to feel satiated at least in the this season before he can become quote-unquote the guy and um, candidly I think my senior year is a similar situation where you know, George Foster and I along with Kareem Marshall mm-hmm. um, there's three capable tackles that um, there there was a rotation and there's times where you know it's difficult to come off the field because you want to stay out there but uh, you also understand that this is a, a talented group, and when you look and see where Amarius is at, and and I'm sure I wasn't the only one trying to key in and see, you know, how, wh- where is he in this development? Is there a reason why, um, you know, he might not be quote unquote the starter right now? And I think the only reason is because of the uh, Broderick and, and McClendon. <laughs> beat him to the punch, and and they've been that starter up to this point, and it has nothing to do with an indictment of Mims's capabilities, because all three looked very proficient when they were out on the field, and I think it's smart, and and something that they will continue to do is, is, one, keep them fresh and rotate, something that you don't often hear about with offensive linemen, but we've seen it in the past. I mean, Georgia's done it with Cade Mays when he was here, and there was other rotational players that um, had earned the opportunity to get some field time. And it, it's more common in different position groups. But when you have a, a talented group, and, and specifically in a one particular position, um, you find ways to get them out there. And it's like any other compromise. You may not be super thrilled that you don't get the 100% share, but it also raises that bar of competition, and you know – that you're going to be a better player because of it because you've got to compete for every bite at that apple that you're you're going to earn and not be given
0: i think that's really interesting i want to try to cover a couple of other things here while we have you and also be respectful of your time there too we'd heard a lot of buzz about kenny mcintosh and he certainly seemed to Pay off on that with the way he played on Saturday but it's receiving yards not necessarily rushing yards what did you think of McIntosh validating the praise that it existed for him through the summer but kind of doing so in a very modern way when it comes to being more of a threat in the receiving game than he was at least on Saturday in the rushing game
2: yeah and, and that's the way the game is played right now so it's some of these uh wide throws that don't go more for more than three yards from the line of scrimmage one way or the other in front or behind those are just wide sweeps, and we saw Oregon try to implement uh, similar plays and then try to take a shot off of it that turned into an interception for Christopher Smith, but uh, that's the way the game's played. You're trying to get your playmakers, guys that can make somebody miss or run through tackles in one-on-one situations. Right now, if you get a guy like Kenny McIntosh with the ball in his hands and he's one-on-one with a DB, even if it's a safety, I like that scenario. I like his chances to drag a guy for extra yards or make him miss, and and now he's broken through that first layer of defense. So continues to be that playmaker. I think that's yet another position where um, each each guy is more than capable. I mean, when Edwards came in the game, you had to like the way he ran the ball, um, and he's not alone. So another position group that – I think you're, you're able to just kind of figure out what their strengths are and play to them. And, and Macintosh is a guy that you certainly like in space that can make guys miss, or you know even in a more traditional role of you know the dotted eye behind the quarterback, although you know the, the game has become so much more variable that you're able to really exploit his talents in, in more ways than what we've become used to and historically.
0: One of the things that Smart said after the game on Saturday that's going to get some attention, and maybe even be kind of misunderstood in some respects, is his belief this is the best staff that he's ever had while being at, at, at UGA. What do you make of that, that it sounds like they are experiencing a level of cohesion right now that maybe has not been matched prior to this?
2: Well, I think that's high regards considering the staff that he's uh, been able to put together up to this point. And Uh, I'm sure part of it is you look at the experience in the room, and guys across the board have either been in head positions or coming from the NFL, and then you sprinkle in guys that have come from smaller programs and hungry, and and you're looking for that recipe, right, where you have enough ingredients of guys that um, have experience and have have been in that war and and been field-tested, And you balance that and sprinkle in guys that are young and hungry and and are trying to prove themselves. And uh, when you hit that recipe right and you've got a little of both, the experience and then the young and hungry, um, I think it makes everyone in the room better. And you you pull the energy from the younger guys. You pull the experience and knowledge from the vets. And that's kind of what, on paper, this staff look to possess. And he's just, saying that what you think is true is or could be true is true and i think that's really exciting especially uh with where coach munkin is and you know his tenure uh in athens um, bringing his background and then some of the new additions that some of which are familiar names uh to georgia the georgia faithful um but you, you bring them in and it just seems like there's a great synergy created and you know, again, be a, This is week one, and yeah. you try not to fly too high. But it's hard not to. You see what uh, what the performance was coming off of uh, last year, and and trying to answer some of those questions. So well, they they couldn't have done a better job given the limited opportunity for them to say uh, we're still here and going to be a very much a problem for anyone they face this year.
0: No, I think you're a million percent right. I want to finish with this. Georgia also holds Oregon without a touchdown the same thing it did a year ago with Clemson to start the season we know how that season ultimately ended how important was it for Georgia to send that big message defensively and the fact that in the early stage it was propelled by an interception from a freshman like Malachi Stark it's not a perfect day for Georgia maybe defensively they gave up some yards and they didn't really have much of a pass rush so that may have been dictated by the Oregon game plan overall but in terms of the result that matters most once again keeping an opponent without a touchdown. How much did that mean for you on that side of the ball?
2: I think it means uh, a lot because you you are replacing a number of players. And to see some true freshmen go out there and and be counted on early and certainly not let their team down, uh, from Williams and obviously Malachi, who comes up with one of the most athletic-looking interceptions I've seen in quite some time, uh, to be able to spin around, contort his body, and still come down with the ball over his head. That is very promising. I also, you know, Nolan Smith, uh, he's always been a guy whose motor runs high and uh, is relentless. And though it may not show up every week in the, in the stat sheet, um, he caught my eye a number of times. And so when you've got that balance, again, young guys and up-and-comers um, that are, you know, going to have growing pains, as long as those growing pains come in the middle of the field and you end up with – holding an opponent uh, without a touchdown, I think those are growing pains we'd all be able to live with. And that bend but don't break and create turnovers is something that has been a recipe for a number of teams uh, that have found postseason success, especially when that comes early in the season when you've got guys that are still learning and uh, learning on the job and have their best days ahead of them, which, you know, even non-freshmen, uh, there's a, a number of vets out there or guys that have been a part of this program for a couple of years, but now they're, um, they're getting the lion's share of the rep because you know, the 15 uh, draft picks have moved on and 18 others have transferred to other places. So um, lots of opportunity there, but, man, I, I couldn't have been more encouraged. You have to think that there might be uh, some drop-off from one of the historically best defenses, Um, in college football from last year, but it doesn't appear that drop-off is going to be too far. And I think that's what everyone was hoping for um, heading into this season is that this is is still going to be one of the best defenses in the country and, may not, and, and that may not mean that they're at the exact same level as where they were last year, but I think it complements for this offense. They don't need to be.
0: John, I think that's really good stuff. I love talking to you. Obviously, it's more fun on a day when the conversation's so pleasant, but we just appreciate your insight no matter what. Thanks for being with us here on this Labor Day edition of our program. We'll look forward to doing it with you again next week. Home opener on Saturday against Sanford, so that ought to be a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to discuss the next time we get together here as well.
2: Well, it's always a good time, and I know you hit on it a little bit before I hopped on, but it was a great weekend for the SEC. Yeah. And to to know that there's still a dominant conference out there and Georgia is separating themselves from it even is uh, something to be proud of. So always good to be a dog, especially when they trounce their opponent and uh, seem to be set up for yet another fantastic season. It's great to be
0: a Bulldog. John, that's good stuff. Thanks for your time. Enjoyed it. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. I hope you caught that what John just said there because that's a really good point. That thirteen and one, the SEC win on the weekend. We'll get to LSU here in a moment. Ooh boy, ooh boy, we'll get there. Uh, but thirteen and one, the league was against you know uh, non-conference foes here over the course of the first you know full Saturday. So at a time in which the SEC is extending its gap on the rest of college football. At the top of that, you've got Georgia extending its gap on the rest of the SEC, or at least most of the SEC, other than the uh, the uh, folks in Crimson, who we obviously will plan on seeing again before the season is done. But that's a really good point that the SEC has never seemed stronger, and yet Georgia in its perch near the top of the SEC is the reigning national champions—that's never seemed stronger and, and, and more pronounced than it is right now, too. Really good point from John Stenchcomb there on all of that. So. Without further ado, I do want to kind of tell you what we're doing here and then kind of jump into all this. We've got a lot to get to as far as the games in the weekend. I'm going to talk more about Malachi Starks here too and want this show to end before noon. So let's see if we can get this done here. We're cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Here's what you should know. On Saturday at the dognation.com tailgate, we had Joanne from Royal Caribbean on hand. Always love hanging out with her and, you know, Robin, the folks that she works with, such great people. We love our friends from Royal Caribbean and we are so proud of our partnership because, as i was telling joanne y'all seem to be enjoying it so much and like ultimately i sort of exist to make y'all happy that's kind of what we do around here we're trying to have fun and you know be entertaining and, and enjoy all this and so many of you are enjoying the idea of another cruise with dog nation coming up this spring and so all of this would not be possible that our friends at royal caribbean so i love the partnership we have there we had royal caribbean on hand for our dog nation Duck Hunt cruise there i should say our tailgate on saturday folks were actually like signing up right there on the spot uh at the, i don't know why i keep clapping with this but nonetheless right there on the spot folks were signing up and getting going and we're gonna have a cruise experience coming up this spring that's bigger and better than we've ever had before. It's going to be unbelievable, and we want you to be a part of it there too. Some of you were there on Thursday when we kind of rolled all this out at the Marlowe's Tavern in Dunwoody. You had a chance to meet Jessica Slater in person. She's a big dog fan. Uh, she, you know, loves uh, obviously Royal Caribbean, and she's helped. Ready to help you get booked up on your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So give her a call. seven seven zero seven one eight nine one four seven. 718 9147 That's seven seven zero seven one eight nine one four seven, 718 9147 Or visit dreamvacations.com/slash J Slater. DreamVacations.com slash J Slater. Now let me also say this: you don't have to wait until next spring to book your next Royal Caribbean cruise. You can be like me. I've got three scheduled now. So you can go ahead and get another one scheduled besides the Dog Nation Cruise. But you better be coming on that Dog Nation cruise it's going to be an unbelievable experience but you know what do like me take a couple before you get there because i got one in december one in february and one coming up in april so we are ready to rock and roll on all of that as i try to keep my uh my summer tan going into the fall and into the winter we'll see if we can make that happen and we'll see if we can talk about some of these big games here from home how about the wild one last night between lsu and florida state now first of all the winning side here I was actually pretty impressed with Florida State I know this game got really crazy really late and I realized it's kind of like sort of like the madcap stuff like that Sunday game on that first weekend is almost always a bizarre affair and last night was certainly no different in that, in that, in that regard but honestly for most of the game I found myself actually pretty impressed with Florida State and watching the game I think it made me realize just how little Florida State football I've watched the last couple of years just they have not really been on my radar all that much i thought last night norvell's bunch kind of showed some explosiveness on offense they got some playmakers a little bit last night this looked a little bit like what i expect a florida state team to look like i have to say that but obviously we're kind of an sec centric show around here and we're a little bit more obsessed with the sec side and woo boy LSU is a little bit of a mess here, are they not? Uh, Wild kind of come back to give himself a chance. The special teams miscue at the end, a a part of a number of special teams miscues they had uh, with muffed punts and PAT issues and everything else, including the disaster there at the end. They had a chance to tie the game, and it's about as crazy as it gets. But here's the thing I want to focus on for a moment, and and we told you this a lot coming in. I mean, I'm as surprised by this result as almost anything I, I could have been because this is the kind of thing that at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly just didn't do. He had 40 something consecutive wins when a point spread favorite uh, almost never lost to unranked opponents that that as a coach at Notre Dame, Kelly just didn't really lose to what was perceived to be lesser competition. And at LSU, clearly they're kind of charting a new path for this. Now, LSU's a program before Kelly got here has kind of had sort of erratic up and down type performances. So frankly, what happened last night's not all that out of character for what LSU has been the last couple of years, but it is a little bit out of character for what Kelly has been, which means that for right now, the Kelly that was in full control of the Notre Dame program, that's not the current situation here at LSU. You got to be really careful for a moment. And this is one of those things where I'm going to go way back into the past, something that we talked about at one point a lot during the offseason. And it's amazing how true this seemed last night. And if you're a regular listener to the show, you will remember when I said this. That the real test of Brian Kelly's leadership early is going to be with wide receiver Keyshawn Bute. Now, Keyshawn Butte is a little bit like Eric Gilbert, which like some people say Eric, some people say Eric, some people say Keishon Booty, and some people say Keyshawn Butte. I, I, I have no idea about pronunciations, but um, but the one we're going to go with is Butte here, uh, just because it seems weird to say Booty, um, <laughs> to be to- totally honest with you. So we said that 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 Butte was going to be the real test of Brian Kelly's leadership. That's a very good wide receiver. Last night, if you watched the game, you know this. He seemed incredibly disinterested, just did not seem to be all that into what was happening there last night. This is a guy that threatened to transfer. There were some rumors coming out of Louisiana that maybe some NIL money prevented that from happening. Um, It's another example of the oldest cliche in the book that money doesn't necessarily buy happiness. They may have paid for Boutte to get him to stay, but that alone wasn't enough to get a smile on his face there last night. Seemed to be pouting, seemed to be sulking, wasn't really used very effectively by LSU. And I think a lot of this is related to Jaden Daniels. Daniels is clearly a great athlete, but I think what you saw last night that for now, he also kind of appears to be a little bit of a subpar quarterback, that he's not nearly as well developed with his arm right now as he is with his legs. Keeping plays alive he's incredibly dangerous. But uh, getting the football to a guy like Boutte, that just does not seem to be the case. Uh, you know last night just not able to really do that and really kind of ill-used bootay was by lsu in the process so what we said during the offseason is true after one game here for brian kelly is that kelly is a big ego guy kelly's the kind of guy that doesn't want to act like he needs anyone remember last week we talked about how he never returned the phone calls or the letters from from uh lou holtz a notre dame legend because presumably kelly just thought he was above that that he didn't need to do that well, listen, in a place like LSU, you can't put yourself above certain things. And you certainly can't put yourself above basically trying to get a, a guy like Keyshawn Butte on board. Butte's wearing number seven. That's kind of like a symbolic number in the LSU program. And this is a perfect example of something we said plenty of times, is that most LSU coaches eventually win a national championship. That is why Kelly obviously came there. He knew he was never going to do that at Notre Dame. But the ego that made Kelly so distasteful while at Notre Dame would have the tendency to kind of up in the natural progression LSU coaches eventually win national championships but if you're too much of an ego guy if you're not willing to kind of play the game the way that it needs to be played here right now then Kelly's not guaranteed to enjoy the success that Orgeron had or or Les Miles had prior to that or even obviously Nick Saban had prior to that. This is a very interesting experiment. I did not think last night was a good night for LSU, not just because they lost the game, because frankly in these sort of Sunday night week one games, crazy things seem to happen. But LSU's best player right now completely disinterested. They also had a terrible injury. Mason Smith, you'll know him, the defensive lineman. Uh, He left this game early. Last night was a Pretty bad night, I thought for LSU. You don't want to overreact, but I did not think this was a good night for the Tigers in terms of Kelly's control of this organization right now. By the way, speaking of overreactions, it's interesting to see the big overreaction to Florida's win against Utah. Y'all, we told you this was coming, and I think you'll remember us saying this: that Florida's an SEC team playing in its own stadium. I don't care if uh, you know Utah's on its way to winning the Pac-12; it's still a Pac-12 team. Uh, and, you know, the idea that a Pac-12 team is going to travel a couple thousand miles, you know, play in Gainesville, Florida and win that game. It's just not something we saw occurring. And so we're not going to, like, lose our mind just because Florida won, nor are we going to lose our mind as it relates to, like, Anthony Richardson. Like, some of the stuff that I've heard related to Anthony Richardson in the aftermath of all of this is just bizarre. Like, I heard Greg McElroy say that he's the closest thing to Vince Young since Lamar Jackson like after one game as a starter the stuff that Aaron Murray said on Twitter is even worse than that listen I I like Murray and I got respect for Murray obviously as a former Georgia quarterback I'm happy to see him doing well at ESPN he needs to delete the junk that he tweeted about Richardson the last couple days though that's too much praise after just one game And, and and here's the thing you gotta understand is that obviously I'm a gator hater we're gonna do all of our gator hater stuff towards the end of the show here at the end of the show we love doing that that's part of the fun for us is like mocking the lousy stinking gators we love doing that but here's something else you need to know. Like I take my picks pretty seriously because it's that's our version of competition, right? We don't coach. We don't play. Our version of competing is trying to have takes and have our takes be proven correct or place our bets and cash in on what we think it is we know. Like we take that pretty serious. We don't try not to take ourselves too seriously, but we take that kind of seriously. I want to get my picks right. So it doesn't do me any good to kind of lead with my heart on stuff like this, need to lead with my head. And I have told you a couple of things during the offseason that may very well be true. Go back to my vacation shows. I told you on one of those shows that if you look at the Florida schedule with a relatively you know, seeming coin flip type game against Utah, and this kind of was, Florida won, but Utah had what first and goal twice uh, and didn't score in either instance. That could have you know, flipped the result of this game, so it's kind of a coin toss won by Florida. Next week against Kentucky, I would say sort of a coin toss. That's the kind of game that Florida could win. Um, on the road at Tennessee would be an upset, but it's still a game that Florida could win lsu seems like a very winnable game for florida like it's entirely possible that florida is undefeated going into the georgia game that's not a johnny come lately take that is something i told you a couple of months ago as a possibility i also told you this that between gators texas a&m uh lsu and i even put auburn in this category those four sec teams with relatively high talent levels that if you gave any of those a quarterback that team could become dangerous well it just so happens I don't think Hayes King looked very good for uh, A&M for the most part he may not be that guy on primetime, Sunday night Jayden Daniels I think pretty clearly lets you know that he's not that guy right now we don't really think T.J. Finley is that guy for Auburn it's more of an example of Zach Calzada just not taking reins and and winning that quarterbacking job so you're sort of left with well if it's not uh, Anthony Richardson who did have a good game on Saturday then it's none of these guys there's a chance, y'all, that AR is actually a pretty good quarterback. There's a chance, you know, that's the uh, that's the case for him. Uh, there's a chance that he's pretty good. But even if he is pretty good, and even if Florida is kind of working on some wins here in the early portion of the season, the reaction you're getting to the game against Utah on Saturday is still embarrassing. Like, the media is embarrassing itself with how it's overpraising Florida and how it's impacting the gambling markets right now. Uh, Florida hosts Kentucky on Saturday. Y'all, a couple of weeks ago, we had Chris Doring in the SEC Network saying that, kentucky was going to go 11 and one you had one of their assistant coaches going on the radio station up there kentucky sports radio saying they're ready to compete with georgia uh, you know you've had will levis being taken to the top 10 of the nfl draft like well, this is what we spent the entire summer doing and now kentucky finds itself as a seven point underdog at florida who was like picked fourth or fifth in the sec east at sec media days this is what we're doing after one game Like, the media has had some embarrassing chapters in the past. This may be the absolute bottom of the barrel. This may be the absolute worst. And I'm not telling you that Florida is not not capable of winning the game. As I told you before, as objectively as I know how to, they may put some wins together here, and Richardson may help lead them there. It's a possibility that's the case. They should not be a seven-point favorite against Kentucky on Saturday. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a hint about where I'm kind of thinking with some of my gambling picks we get towards the end of the week here. But it is laughable laughable uh, if that line holds to see uh, Florida as a seven-point favorite against Kentucky on the basis of what the conversation was like like two dadgum weeks ago with everybody hyping up Kentucky like like this is as bad as it gets Uh, but nonetheless uh, Florida won on Saturday and everybody's kind of losing their mind. Uh, Jermaine Burton had two touchdowns for Alabama and you will never hear me say a bad word. Really, like we don't trash players very much around here one way or another. Uh, and so we're certainly not going to do that for a guy like Jermaine, who uh, obviously played at UGA. And uh, we like Jermaine Burton. And I hope, he ha- I hope he does have a good year. You know, that's, that's, that's great. I guess the one thing I am left to wonder, he had two touchdowns on Saturday. Ladd McConkey had two touchdowns. Is there any evidence at all, verifiable proof, that Jermaine Burton's a better player than Lad McConkey? And if there is, what would it be? Now, he's a higher rated recruit, and, you know, he certainly got me very excited when he came to Georgia in a way that I did not get excited when Lam McConkie came to Georgia. But since then, since the recruiting rankings have now kind of been sort of pushed to like a lower paragraph in the biography, is there any proof anywhere that Burton's a better player than McConkie? And if there is proof, then what is it exactly? Because, you know,. Against better competition, McConkie also had a couple of touchdowns and better numbers overall. And we'll follow this over the course of the year. And I, I, I wasn't certainly dissatisfied that, that Burton got a couple touchdowns on Saturday, I think on 35 receiving yards. I, I wasn't uh, dissatisfied by that. In fact, I'm kind of happy for him. Um, but I just think it's interesting you know, it, what it comes in light of and with what's going on with McConkie. You know, some people are like, ah, you know, Georgia you know, uh, didn't use its receivers. Uh, that's why Jermaine Burton left. Well, I think Georgia was using the receivers last year. Um, A guy like McConkie and a guy like A.D. Mitchell. And I think that Georgia used those receivers pretty well on Saturday, too. So I'm not glad Jermaine Burton's gone. I would like for him to stay here. Um, But, you know, this notion that somehow Georgia has to apologize for whatever it was that uh, caused Burton to transfer – Maybe Land McConkie is just a better player. Maybe you have to consider that as a possibility. Uh, Arkansas beat Cincinnati on Saturday. And this was kind of as expected. Arkansas was about a six-point favorite, one by seven. I actually think Cincinnati looks like they may be pretty good still. At least top 25-level team maybe here this season. But I don't think you can lose sight of this. This is just the start of Sam Pittman's third season. And in 2020, they were way better than most people thought they would be. Last year, they were like legitimately kind of a factor. All this for a coach that no one ever thought would be a head coach. A guy who was essentially treated as the worst hire of the 2020 offseason when he was brought in. And All of a sudden now, you know, favored at home against a team that made the college football playoff a year ago. All of a sudden now, he's just sort of going out there, winning a game like this, and it's sort of a ho-hum type thing. Like, like the events of Saturday, and I know he had the funny line at the end about <laughs> going home and drinking cold beer. I mean – it's kind of crazy how much I like Arkansas. Like it scares me to think as a Georgia fan that there's another SEC team I like this much, but I root hard for Arkansas, man. I root hard for Pittman. I really do. There's never been an SEC team other than Georgia that I've ever rooted for this hard. I think it's easier to do this because they're just so far away. Like Fayetteville, Arkansas might as well be like the dark side of the moon. Like it's so far from here. Uh, that you don't really feel like you're cheating on Georgia by cheering for Arkansas but I am so happy for Pittman I I, I just love it so much um, I think that I, I just think the whole thing's great uh, I think he's funny and Arkansas had a really good tweet kind of making fun of Skyline Chili the other day I just like a lot of things with this Hawks program it's kind of weird how much I do uh, but just really happy for him but the point the, the point I'm making though is is that all of a sudden, Arkansas has kind of gone from being nobody thought they were good at all under Chad Morris. They were like, I mean, some of the worst recruiting classes in SEC history, an absolute doormat in every sense of the word. And now, ranked team playing at home against a team that was in the College World Playoff a year ago, and sort of getting sort of getting a little bit of a ho hum kind of you know roller skate cover against uh, against a team like Cincinnati. Pittman's building something there. He is really building something, and I I, I love to see it. I I really do. I'm so happy for him uh notre dame we sort of told you this was going to go down this way you know a little bit of a conservative game plan they ran the ball a lot they did not throw it very much they had some surrender punts kind of lay they were just really playing what i thought was a very safe game plan they wanted to save face with a closer than the experts thought type loss pretty much got exactly what they wanted ohio state kind of the same way they did too they really wanted a good game for their defensive coordinator Jim Knowles and after the game if you saw Ryan Day's press conference and that was his sort of takeaway oh this game is about our defense this is the story of what the defense did um and that's I think what I think a lot of what Saturday was for Ohio State was trying to set up for that defense they may it have scored more points against Notre Dame although Notre Dame was dropping back like eight nine guys in the past coverage like I don't know I don't think you could do more guys in pass coverage than what Notre Dame was dropping there on Saturday. So there weren't maybe a lot of big passing plays to be had. But I also think that Ohio State, for once in its life, really was trying to play complimentary football because I do think they wanted to set up their new D.C. Jim Knowles for success. And after the game, Ryan Day was heaping praise on him. So so Buckeyes kind of got what they wanted, defensive-type game. Uh, Notre Dame kind of got what it wanted. It didn't get embarrassed in a game that it really knew had no chance of winning. And the entire college football world did nothing but talk about it because that's all they ever do is talk about Notre Dame and Ohio State. And so when they're playing each other, clearly that's going to be the focal point from everybody. And that's basically the way it was on Saturday night. Finally, there's this, and we'll get back to Georgia. In the midst of all the craziness of on the field, there was also expanded college football playoff there too. So um, this is I talked about kind of an embarrassing chapter for the media, like the college ball playoff expansion like this is one of the most embarrassing chapters i've ever seen for like administration like administrators conference commissioners especially the big 10 kevin warren who i've just like zero respect for um it's like they were totally against conference expansion when they thought it was only going to benefit the sec and then once they expanded by bringing in uh i should say they were against playoff expansion when they thought it was only going to benefit the sec but once they added usc and ucla now they're in favor of it and all of a sudden now we're getting it and as greg sankey i think accurately pointed out he was at the game on saturday for georgia and oregon that all of this could have happened much sooner had people just kind of done what was in their vested interest in the moment as opposed to thinking they were doing something despite the sec when sankey was clear the entire time he was sort of fine staying at four fine staying at four fine staying at 12 and listen for for certain fans when it comes like the competitive part of college football there are people who think a 14 playoff might actually be better than 12 team like not everybody likes playoff expansion i sort of do but not everybody does but whether we whatever we think from a competitive standpoint or sort of an enjoyment of the game standpoint it's clearly the benefit to the financial part of it which is the only thing these guys ever care about uh so it clearly benefits that so i think greg sankey was right to sort of shrug this off and like what took them so long to kind of come to this agreement just given the fact it was always in their best interest to do that so we'll probably get more into the days ahead about kind of what it means in terms of you know who's getting in how you get there the idea that one day georgia may be hosting a playoff game in its own stadium which would be unlike anything we've ever seen before so there's some fun conversations to be had about this but uh you probably saw this just want to make sure you didn't miss it that playoff expansion did officially become a thing on friday we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean now getting back to georgia here for a moment and one of the cool things uh here on dog nation daily presented by pedal window indoor georgia one of the cool things on saturday was the performance of malachi starks and y'all this was as easy to see coming as anything y'all are all the same way we were all on the same page about this Malachi Starks just sort of had that look you know you've watched him as a recruit you listen to him do his interviews with Jeff Centel you kind of follow all this stuff he just sort of seemed put together you know as an athlete of course but as a dude like he just sort of seemed like he was ready for the college experience and almost anybody who would have visited one of these scrimmages we talked to Former players at the Letterman scrimmage. We talked to boosters at the rich person scrimmage. We talked to all those people, and they were all saying the same thing: "Oh, Malachi Starks looks really, really good." Well, lo and behold, he goes out and has a great interception there on Saturday. And I thought Christopher Smith had his own interception on Saturday, and obviously knows what it being a tone setter at safety is like because he had the pick six last year that propelled the Dogs towards a national championship. So this is high praise coming from a guy like Smith. But after the post game press conference on Saturday. Smith was kind of asked, hey, what would you see from Malachi Starks? And uh, Smith said, I saw what I've been seeing. Uh, here's Christopher Smith when it comes to Malachi.
1: Malachi Starks, like I've been talking about him uh, off all fall camp, man. He's a great player, man. Um, I've seen him do that a bunch of times. So, you know, um, definitely one of the greatest interceptions I've ever seen. Um, he laid out for that one. and uh, I was just so excited. I couldn't believe he made the plate. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's big for him, man. I, I think I'm going to continue to see great things out of him because he's going to see
0: I love it. I mean, I just think that uh I look, George is always in a position where it's putting sort of like young five stars into a newer role when big guys leave the program. That's kind of the natural sort of cycle of the program, the pipeline of the program. but there are a few that come along that are like, I don't know they sort of stand out a little different and I don't want to put too much on Malik. I really don't. but to me he is one of those guys that seems to just sort of stand out a little bit different and and all of that. so. I thought it was a great day for him. I thought that his interception had both tangible and symbolic value for UGA. Tangible in that it erased a scoring opportunity for Oregon and helped set the tone for the defense for the rest of that day, but also a symbolic value in that I think there really are some people who thought that Georgia was going to play defense with like seven guys on the field. That that, that that somehow that that they were just going to have to sort of like – picking people out of the stands to come play defense because everybody got drafted off last year's team there are some people who just literally thought that georgia was going to be that depleted and in the first big moment of the of the first game of the 2022 season when a former five-star safety is making that play as athletic as the interception was i think it is a symbol that that georgia from a defensive standpoint doesn't have any regression planned we'll see if somebody effectively attacks them before the year is done but but georgia's plan here is to be just as stout and just as good on defense as ever. And Malachi Starks helped send that message on Saturday. That was great to see. Something else that was great to see was our friends, uh, Bob Tharp, his wife, Ashley, their family on board with us for our dognation.com tailgate on Saturday. I always love that. And I love what Merryweather and Tharp does for all of you there too. And I want to give them a shout out before we're done here today. And I know it's not fun, like divorce is not fun, but it's reality, right? College football is fun tailgates are fun us sitting around here talking about these you know great football players that's all really fun the divorce process can be scary it can be confusing it can be the exact opposite of fun but if it is your reality then the way to get yourself into a position in the future where you can have fun again where you can enjoy the things of life again or maybe you can enjoy things more than you ever imagined possible the way to get to there is to go through this right now. And Meriwether and Tharp wants to go through it with you. They want to be your advocate, explaining how the law works, leveraging it for your benefit, taking care of you when it comes to finances, children, all the things that matters with all of that. So please find them online. They're your source for Georgia divorce. They are Meriwether and Tharp. You can find them online at the com. That is the com. That'll get you in touch with Meriwether and Tharp. All right, a lot of golden shoes for today, so let's roll through these. Some of this is going to be a celebration of our Dog dognation.com. Some of this is going to be making fun of Oregon, and we'll just kind of do a lot of this as the time goes. So, Michael, go ahead and present the first one there on the screen, and we will all have a good laugh here. Well, first of all, this is from Kathy. Kathy Weinhart sharing this. Uh, at the dognation.com tailgate on Saturday, also her friends and family having a great time there at the game. Boy, that's awesome to see. You love folks having a, a, a great time. Kathy, we appreciate you being there for that, and what a, a great experience it was for sure. I like this from Daniel Jones, uh, sharing a meme of what Bo Nick sees when he looks at the Georgia defense. And if you're not watching a video, what this is, it's the Georgia defense, but there's like 20 guys in the field. And I'm sure Bo probably feels that way as he lost to Georgia there once again. Daniel, that's very funny stuff. How about our next Golden Shoe for today? Uh, Joshua Campbell shared this. It's uh, someone who looks like Donald Duck wearing the Oregon, you know, yellow and green. Sitting on a uh, psychologist couch, saying they just kept barking, and on Saturday those dogs did do that. As Josh was said, seven touchdowns, seven possessions, dogs just kept on scoring, uh, and they just kept barking. Also gave you a mailman for Heisman, which I don't hate either. And then Keith Pitts gives us this, sharing this with me, uh, a meme of Bo Nix against the dogs after today. How about Bo and four? Yeah, that's a good one, Keith. That's really funny. Well done from you, indeed. Uh, And that is the story here, Bo Nix ending his career against george i'm sure he's happy to at least say to to play the dogs again because he never beat him, and he got beat bad each and every time speaking of getting beaten bad florida's been getting beat bad plenty they may have beaten utah but they haven't beaten anybody of note in quite some time about 4,988 days since they have won a national championship that is our gator hater updater and our gator hater countdown Fifty four days from now, and we've actually hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, we've switched out the picture. Earlier today, we had uh, Malachi Starks intercepting. Uh, for those of you not watching on video, we have a little bit of a frame next to our Eddie oil painting. Uh, we have we had Malachi Starks in there earlier. Now we've got Darnell Washington leaping over. So we're trying to cover all the bases around here, and we'll remind you: fifty four days from now, dogs beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater countdown. We will see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by Pella window and door of Georgia and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments here on twitter at dog nation daily or in the comment section at dognation.com a dublin dog wrote in about a question after the oregon game he says where was dominic blay like i was looking forward to seeing him again i didn't even see him on the sideline so he was there i think he was on the field some uh i think this is kind of a numbers game type situation where there were a lot of uga players that had a lot of good games and Thing that limited the opportunity for a guy like blaylock that i don't know that it was necessarily sort of indictment about him uh, as much as it was just the fact that a lot of guys stepped up and played well and uh you know that's not gonna leave room for everybody so i think there's a chance that we still hear from dominic blaylock in a big way this season but saturday was clearly not his day on that you are right but he was you know i believe in the game uh shane Harmon says and this is kind of representative of a lot of what i got So one of the things I had sort of joked about during the game on Saturday after Bo Nix threw that second pick, I said that Georgia should retire his number. And some folks sort of thought that was funny. But the most common response I also got, including from Shane Harmon and a bunch of other folks too, was they should retire his number right next to Reggie Ball. And it's really funny to me. I'm kind of glad to see this. You know, Reggie Ball was the Georgia Tech quarterback and lost to Georgia four times as well. And the fourth of those was in 2004 when – ball late in the game tech had a chance to win but late in the game on fourth down didn't know it was fourth down and you know how when you roll outside the pocket you've got no one to throw to so you just sort of throw the ball out of bounds well he did that on that fourth down play a lot of you remember this some of you don't he did that on fourth down in 2004 it was kind of like the true capper for his career tech fans really were always very hard on Reggie Ball for understandable reasons he was not you know a very successful quarterback certainly not in the biggest games Tech played like those against Georgia and so it was kind of neat for me to see because that's a long time ago now that's what 16 years ago or 18 years ago that's like 18 years ago that the last moment for Reggie Ball occurred in a uh, Georgia Georgia Tech game but people still have memories of that so I guess Bo Nix does go there alongside uh reggie ball and all that and obviously you know nick's granddad patrick nicks was the uh uh, quarterback's coach that worked with uh uh, reggie ball there at george tech so i guess it all kind of comes back full circle there on that just a bit we appreciate you being here for our podcast cool down y'all find rs andrews online at rsandrews.com they'll take care of you for a lot of things but maybe this time of year you're thinking about that air conditioning unit if you've gotten some bad news if some company some fly-by-night company somewhere has told you you need a new ac unit well guess what that may be true eventually but for now rs andrews will likely be able to show you how you can get some more life out of that old unit and it may only cost you 99 bucks so find them online rsandrews.com for a lot more on that y'all have a great day uh we will see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by palo window indoor of georgia and our rs andrews cooldown. we'll talk to you then everybody